Kieran. And I'm Eve. This is Kitchen Table Cult. We're two quiverful escapees talk about our experiences in the cultish underbelly of the religious right. Hey, Eve. Hey, Karen. How are you? How's... <laughs> well, it's snowing here, and Blanche was very confused and didn't want to go pee Oh. She, like, didn't mind it last time, but now it's just coming down really heavy, and I think last time she slept through it falling, and now she's like, what is this stuff coming from the sky? Yeah, it's one thing when it's still and on the ground and it's fine, but when it's moving through the air... It's just like it might attack you. Right. Like you might die. Of of like, this, cold. This is not safe. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> How's your day? Uh it's good. I got my driver's license in the mail yesterday. Yeah. So I'm Where excited. Where can people find that uh that neutral gender marker how to again? Uh it's on my website, uh mxdarkwater.com. It's in the show notes from last week. So if you go to uh kitchentablecult.com and click on the episode for doubt. Uh, it's in the notes there, and you can find cool. it easily. Super awesome. Well, um, what are we talking about today? Well, I uh, went through some old photos and found an old journal entry from, like, 2006. Yeah, I, um, I've been going through a lot of journals um, for memoir drafting because... Like, I remember when things happened, but it's always really good to be able to go back and corroborate dates and, like, when was I upset about this thing and, like, Mm -hmm. did I ever, like, write about it in my journals? And the answer is usually no, like, in a straightforward fashion. I didn't really write a lot of, um, today this happened and then Mm -hmm. that happened and then that happened and then I yelled at my mom and she yelled at me and then my dad came home and spanked me, that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, but I did a lot of a different kind of journaling that is almost as telling. Mm -hmm. I did like prayer journaling and devotion journaling. So I would copy out Bible verses that were relevant to like whatever was going on or how I was feeling. And then I would like write like these super overblown prayers in my journal. I remember like doing similar things. I always had... I had like my private journal that I kept for all of my angst and I hid that somewhere that would be hard to find and I wrote in cursive as like a barrier for siblings who would read it but couldn't read cursive. Um, But for my sermon notes and my prayer journal and stuff, those were in a different notebook that was obvious. So it was like safe for other people to see. So I didn't put anything too personal in there. I was very vague. Well, I think I did that for a little bit, but we basically had no privacy at our house. And like people would go through your stuff all the Mm -hmm. time, whether it was siblings looking for like paraphernalia to get you in trouble with or like parents just like not caring about your privacy. So I... And I never really separated them out after a certain point because I just stopped saying things honestly mm-hmm. at a certain point. Yep. So I can read between the lines still and kind of get a sense of like what I was upset about. I don't remember a lot of the details of it, um, but I do know like I would get lectured about how I was like disrespectful or pushing back on my parents' authority or like challenging decisions that they made. We had a system where you were allowed to appeal, but, like, I did that a lot, and so, mm. like, would get cracked down on and be told I was ungrateful, and so a lot of my journal entries are, like, 
praying to God to like help me stop being so selfish or ungrateful or lazy and like uh you know just like submit to authority and accept Mm -hmm. what god has given me and be grateful for it yeah i feel like my journals uh got more religious and prayer like the older i got um the like one the one journal that i have photos of happened in 2005 when we were moving uh from florida to georgia so a lot of it is moving angst and a lot of what i didn't wind up photographing was the parts where i'm being really angsty and sad and feel sinful and terrible about having feelings about this thing that god is doing because my parents were like well god is having us move and it's a good thing so you should be happy you were really not happy about that no i was really upset about it a lot of my angst was um about like watching my younger siblings and like more kids Mm. arriving in and not having a social life because of it yeah and so, um, like, because we were so staunchly pro-life, I couldn't complain about the fact that we were having other yep. children. Yep. I just could, I could complain about, like, oh, I, you know, I'm not free to do this, and, like, this is my lot in life, and, like, God is calling me to this, you know, lifestyle, and, like, I'm just, you know, it's very hard, and this is not what I want. And, yeah. You know. I've... But, like, I believed I was, like, that was what God willed for me. So I just had to like find a way to like make peace with Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. I found, uh, like December 13th, 2006, I found an entry and the first line is mom's pregnant. It's going to be a long haul. And it's like, (laughs) that was all I could say. I couldn't have feelings about it. I couldn't be sad that there was like another pregnancy and that meant I was going to lose my life for the next nine months. Like Mm -hmm. all I could say was, well, it's going to be a thing. Yeah. I had this, um, this entry that's like in 2004 where it's like protecting, like the baby was breech Mm. and was like due within like two weeks um i think he was due almost a month later after this but um (laughs) just like asking asking for more passion for god's glory which was like keep code for like i am not happy right now and Mm -hmm. i would like to be like content with my circumstances because i I believe that like this is what god wants for my life and then the next day i write this entry where i'm like I guess this year has been a loneliness year for me at least. I've had little contact with my old, meaning last year's friends at church and could and not much more with like another girl who was like more involved with my family. And then I um I think I could count on my hands the number of times we've gotten together one on one. And then I'm like, yeah, I'm thankful to have grown closer to the Lord, my mother, my father. I'm in, I've enjoyed moments at home with my family that I would have missed if my social life had been more alive, but I still feel starved of contact for uh, starved of contact with other Christian girls in my same situation in life. Is it wrong, Lord, to want a friend who will pursue me for a change and to yearn for human company and fellowship? Yep. And uh, you know, it's it's interesting. Like I, when I first left uh, the the church, I. I talked a lot about code switching and having to like phrases like that were so overblown. The language is very yeah. flowery and vague and 
I wasn't able to say things directly for a very long time about my emotions or my needs. And a lot of it was due to like, that was so frowned upon that everybody found like very quote unquote spiritual ways to express those things so that it would like downplay the, the, the desire, but just like talk about it in terms of like, well, I'm struggling with this thing, but like, this is what I want. So let me like, you know, frame it in more positive language in terms of like what I want the Lord to like give me in an, instead of this emotion that I have that like, we're not going to talk about. Yeah. I feel like I also did that a bunch just being very vague and like, I feel bad about this feeling that I'm not allowed to have or not supposed to have. Right. I wrote a lot in my like journal from when I was 14 or 15 about how, well, actually, hold on, let me pull it up because I wrote a lot about loathing having feelings. Mm, that's hard for a Pisces. <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I wrote, did I ever mention that I loathe having feelings? I do. And I hate the ones that make me sick in my heartache because I'm homesick and lonely and all my friends are far away. I thought I had it covered and myself all boxed in, my emotions nailed in an airtight container, never to come out, where I'd be safe from hurt and heartache and homesickness, where my tough face would be me and not just an act. That way I wouldn't have to, like, that way I wouldn't have to be scared of myself, my feelings. I hate showing weakness. Yes, crying is weakness. (laughs) (laughs) This is why it's so hard to cry now. Uh, I hate feeling, I hate feeling and wanting to cry. That just makes me feel worse for, for betraying myself. Betraying yourself. How, how did, why, why would that have been a betrayal of yourself at that point? Uh, cause like I literally wasn't allowed to have feelings. So if you cried, how would your family react? My mom told me when I was three that I should never cry in public. So I didn't, uh, I just like, wasn't allowed to have those feelings. And when I cried, it was always met with hostility and like how dare i i had this um i I think i mentioned this before uh rebecca solnit's book on rage um is really good because one of the things she talks about is how in the workplace women will often um push away their feelings or, or people have been socialized as women so that they only explode in tears when they're really, really, really angry mm-hmm. because they are not allowed to express rage yep. and they're not allowed to express like vulnerable standard sadness emotions. Yes. And so they cross over, the wires cross over and they'll be in, put in this position where like, something will be deeply unfair and they will be very angry and they'll just start crying. And the the men in that situation or people who've been socialized as male will not understand yep. that this person is livid. Yep, yep. They will read it as just like weakness and sad yep. and that's not the case at no. all. And that was my experience um, for a lot of years with crying because I, I, I would, I remember being like, 11 or 12 and like bragging to someone that I only cry when I'm mad and Mm -hmm. then I remember later saying that to my ex-husband yeah a lot of our miscommunications were because I was not able to communicate vulnerability and sadness before it would explode yeah as a a piece of anger that had just been so pent up and um and a lot of that is related to this like just having to like buckle down these emotions and shut it all Mm -hmm. down and like uh, seal it off and yeah. not let anyone in because 
ha- that's that's a way of having needs. Right. And that's not allowed. I remember like I mean, I was really upfront about how much I was shutting myself off with my parents and they praised it and they called me the iron lady. Like that was a good thing. And yeah. Yeah. And so like I, I learned that like the only emotion I was allowed to have was no emotions at all and smiling, like only smiling. I could only express joy ish. But when you're so shut down, like you don't know <laughs> what, what is joy the, the phrase, is. The bright countenance. Yeah. What is the, the Duggar phrase that they, they use. Like, uh, I don't remember. It's like, yes, yeah, just basically like a pleasant, a pleasant and bright countenance of like pasted on positivity. Yeah. And that's what that's what my parents demanded. The way I, I imagine myself and years later, I actually painted it out was as like this sort of wilting rose, like inside of metal armor. And that was like how how I saw who I was, which was just like not allowed to have feelings or express feelings. But there was still that in there that I couldn't get rid of that I just hated right. so much. God, one of my friends when I first got out of the cult, um, her name was Callie back then. She wanted to get uh, a tattoo basically with that same design, like an iron cage. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was a bird inside that was like flying away though as, as like an expression of like I'm allowed to have feelings yeah. now. Yeah, mine is like the roses peeking out of the like opening in the helmet. It was a similar concept. I, I talk a lot now about reacting to emotions in real time mm-hmm. um, because that's really hard for me. So I'm like really proud of myself if I like if I immediately react to something as it's happening. Yeah. Instead of shutting it down, because because I don't know how not to shut it down. I just know how like to get more acquainted with myself and the repressed yeah things that she's holding on to. And so when we get to a moment where we're in sync, my body and me, mm-hmm. it's really positive. Like if I if I like actually like something happens and I have a panic attack in that moment, yeah, like that's great right because that's a healthy and appropriate response and that shows that i'm integrated and i'm not disassociated yeah i still have the thing where the physical sensation will hit me after and i'll be like why do i have all of this anxiety and angst and fear in my body right now after i've like mentally processed it and it's just because like they have to catch up and i've gotten faster over the last couple years of mm-hmm. like going from instead of that taking three days for me to figure out, it takes me like a couple hours and I'm like progress. Yeah, EMDR <laughs> has been really good for that. And I'll say this has been related to my sex life too. Like actually like allowing myself to like feel pleasure in the moment. Mm-hmm. That's taken a really fucking long time Yeah, because it's part of that. Like that's showing vulnerability and I have to like really, really, really be comfortable with what I'm feeling in that moment to be able to connect with pleasure. Mm-hmm. Another thing I did in my journals as I'm looking through is I copied out a lot of Bible verses. 90% of my journals are Bible verses that I copied out. And I think the kinetic process of like handwriting these passages, mm-hmm. like there's some of these are lot like long passages that I was copying out as a way of like trying to overwrite my own thoughts. Yeah. With this yes. scripture, yes, you did you do that too? Yeah, especially like for punishments, my parents would be like, "You have to go write a Bible verse about the thing that you did, or find a Bible oh my verse God, about my dad the thing would do that, that you did." 
So he yeah. would be like, "Go get the go get the concordance yes. and look up all of the passages on humility yep. and copy them out, and then tell me what you learned." Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah. Actually, hang on. Let me find it. I've got a, a passage on one of these <laughs> where I did. I did a. It was a search on humility, and I've got. Hang on. Let me count. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I have 46 entries of Bible references, Bible verse references, and I have check marks next to each of them. Whoa. Which meant that I, like, found them. I copied this all out. Mm -hmm. I found them all, Mm -hmm. and then I read them all. I didn't copy them all out, but then I synthesized. The next couple pages are, like, bullet points. Mm -hmm. So, like, if you've committed wrong, humble yourself before the one you wrong. Um, Humility before honor. Um, all with a purpose to make yourself humble so that you can do good. Humility is always rewarded. That's underlined. Mm-hmm. Humility is listened to as the Lord uh, honors it and destruction is usually avoided. The Lord is honored greatly, underlined, mm-hmm. in humility. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you at the proper time. Right. So, and then I said, like, this is me synthesizing it. Like at the heart of humility is an understanding of your weakness and smallness before God's strength, power, and might. It's a willingness based on this understanding to admit failure, accept your inability to trust God with it, whatever it is, and then to glory in his ability to be, his ability, be content with holding everything in open hands, letting him have free reign with my parents. It means I understand that God is using them as an authority in my life and they're his tools and servants. I need to respect this and act accordingly allow them to have their say and listen to it and take their word to heart, trusting that God is working in me through them. Mm-hmm. Ooh, and then it, it just keeps going. <laughs> but um, this will serve my parents and that uh, this will serve my parents and them best. And it'll make my days easier and will glorify God. Yeah. It'll yep. make your days easier. So you don't get hit. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that's the kind of thing that like is really like peppered throughout my, my journals um, I'm, I think this is one of the few ones where I synthesized it in my journal. Usually I had to like write that on a free sheet of paper and hand it mm-hmm. in like to my dad. But yeah, this is a way of just like using the Bible as like blunt force yeah. to like shove down emotion. Yep. Yeah, that was that was how it was used for me too. That and like a good helping of like shame for having feelings to begin with. But it was like and and I think this is why also like I can't when I'm angry I smile because that's the only way like I couldn't express anger so like mm-hmm. I had to smile and now like that's my tick when I'm really pissed and really angry about something I smile and everyone's like you're not angry and I'm like you have no idea how fucking livid I am actually <laughs> Ooh, yeah you know it, it's interesting I'm I'm like Looking at this, like, this reminds me of stories that I've heard of, like, re-education camps mm-hmm. for, like, cultural brainwashing. I mean, yeah, that's not, that. that is exactly what it is. My parents were even kind of open about it. Like, they they saw all school as indoctrination, so they were like, obviously we're indoctrinating you. And they were, they were really kind of candid about that. Yeah, well, I mean, I guess that's the thing. It's like they they see children as blank sheets that 
left alone will go to evil, so you have to rewrite everything. Mm-hmm. You have to ro- reprogram yep. it. So what's the difference? Like, I, I think we've already shown it practically, but, like, how would you summarize the difference between, like, diaries and, like, Bible journaling or devotion journaling? Uh, one allows, like, for more personal anecdotes and experiences, and the other is less personal and more vague. I suppose. In my experience, like, journaling was, like, a more reflecting on what you were learning mm-hmm. rather than what was happening. Yeah. Or your feelings. Yep. I did devotions, per, like, probably t- once or twice a day mm-hmm. for, like, a decade. Yep. What did that look like for you when you did devo- devotions? Was that a, a thing? Yeah, you do, no, we did. What did you call it? Because I know some people call it, like, quiet time or something. So we had both devotions and quiet time. Um, mm-hmm. we had morning devotions and night devotions that we did as a family, uh, every day. every day. And on Sundays they were extremely long. Sometimes would last all day if we didn't go to church. It was Yikes. exhausting. Um, but so we would have like family devotions that we did every day. And then on top of that, we were supposed to do our own devotions, uh, which happened during quiet time and that was usually like uh when we were by ourselves with our bibles doing a bible study about whatever it was that we did wrong that day or yesterday Um, and it was kind of that like our own personal devotion quiet time uh had a less scheduled time like it didn't mm-hmm. happen at the same time every day because it was just like when you could get around to it, but it was still expected. Yeah, I, I would. My mom would ask us things like, "I'd be like, hey, can I get on the computer and check my email, or like, can I, you know, be free to read a book, or you know, just like, can I be excused Ooh. from chores? Like, I finished my schoolwork and I finished my work around the house, and I'd like to go do something fun for me, right. um, which." Getting to the point of being able to ask that question didn't happen a lot, but the response I'd get would always be like, did you have your quiet time yet? Mm-hmm. Like, she really didn't want us reading fiction or reading for fun until we'd read out of the Bible first. Yep. And it had to be like a minimum of like 20, 30 minutes where you would be like reading the Bible and then journaling yep. to reflect on like what you would read. Yep. I did. My parents also... And then prayer time, obviously. But, you know, yeah. the, I don't know a lot of people who were very serious about individual devotion, like prayer as part of their devotions. Yeah, I feel like that was just sort of assumed to be lumped in as part of it if it, it happened. It was kind of a more performative social thing. Yeah, it really... Oh, my God. We should talk about prayers as prayer. performative <laughs> art at some point. Because, like... That's a thing. Dear Father God, please, we just want to ask you, Father God, Father God, right. please just, like, come and be with us, Father God. Yeah. Daddy Jesus. And it, and then how you phrase the things and whether you did them in, like, certain order. And, and how you stuff. had to, like, so phrase much it judging. so that you weren't just asking God for stuff. Right. You were also, like, Thanking making him. sure he, you knew that you appreciated him. Yeah. yeah, and also begging for forgiveness for existing and all of... For even, yeah. like, breathing yeah. and bothering him with all of that. Yeah. Like, I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry, Lord, that I did all of these bad things. Please help me be a better person. Grant me the patience to do whatever. Thank you for making me a human, but I'm sorry for having feelings. Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, so here's a question for you. Mm-hmm. Did you ever get into scripted prayers? No, because okay. those seemed less authentic. Yeah, so they were often, like, in the more charismatic evangelical circles I ran in, they were often, like, despised as, yeah, being, like, not sincere, mm-hmm. less genuine. Like, they were written off as being part of the, like, performative pharisaical, which is, like, mm-hmm. actually probably a racist term, and that's a whole thing that we should get into sometime. Yeah. Um, like, this, like, fake performative religious um, mode. And it, it was a lot of it was, like, associated with... Um, like anti-Catholic sentiment. Yeah, I think a lot of the like staying away from scripted things is because like the Catholics are bad. Wow, just, just I know. Wow. One thing that I got into in high school and college, like at the end of high school, was because um, my church started being like more. They started getting obsessed with like Jonathan Edwards and like John Calvin, mm-hmm. and started like becoming more um, Presbyterian and, like, getting into church history a little bit more. And um, they found this book called The Valley of Vision, Ah. which is, like, this book of prayers. It's it's basically, like, a Puritan's Book of Common Prayer. Mm. So it's, like, all of these Puritan theologians writing out these prayers as, like, alternatives to the Book of Common Prayer, basically. Uh, yep. And they're full of, like, really intense self-loathing. Like, they're not... They're not happy or light. Right. <laughs> they're very, very dark. Yeah. That was a thing for a, a while that when I was... Um, and I didn't realize this was happening, but when I first started having, like, PTSD symptoms around reading the Bible, mm-hmm. I was I would go and read those prayers as alternatives for my devotions. That makes sense, yeah. Because they wouldn't be triggering, but yep. the Bible would be. I occasionally had, like, my parents, for the most part, didn't do devotionals. Like, mm-hmm. for the most part, it was kind of like tarot. Where, like, wherever you fall in the Bible is what you were supposed to, like, do that day or learn that day or whatever. Oh, did you guys do, like, the plop and drop stuff? Sometimes, yeah. (laughs) Do you want to explain what that is? So, like, you open the Bible to wherever it just opens to. Well, yeah, you hold (laughs) hold it up. You hold it upright so that it can just, like, fall open. Right, yeah. And then wherever that is, is there something there that you were supposed to learn? Or that God was supposed to be speaking to you. I feel like tarot and astrology have a whole lot more calculated systemic weight behind them. There's like a a process that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And plop and drop just doesn't. No. No, it really doesn't. (laughs) But they were like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's just like so funny. Yeah. Like it was held up as being better. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it was God and you can't argue with God. So. Right. Obviously. It's like putting out a fleece. Yeah. Uh, but if I was if I was being like particularly lazy, I would use a devotional uh, that was written for like teens or whatever, and then I would just go mm-hmm. through that, and that would count. But that was sort of seen as lesser because it wasn't me doing it myself; it was being guided. Did you ever do um, a Beth Moore devotional? 
Yes, sort of. I tried. Uh, my mom loved Beth Moore, but mm-hmm. it was so it was so women centered, and I was so dysphoric and had no <laughs> understanding of that at the time. So it was really hard for me to get through because it just felt so wrong on a level I didn't know mm-hmm. how to express. So we tried to do the Beth Moore stuff, but it wasn't really working for me so i just sort of did my own thing but i did sit through some bethmore stuff i went to a bethmore conference that happened in atlanta that was rough so i i remember there was this time when bethmore was like surging in popularity and mm-hmm. some of the ladies in my my church really wanted to do a bethmore bible study and they couldn't get it approved by the pastors weird so it couldn't be because she was a woman teaching Oh, and there right. were men in the video. So like, so the Bethmore yeah. Bible studies would often be this like video recording of her talking. And then yep. you'd have like Bible passages and journaling and like Q&A and like the group mm-hmm. discussion. Um, but there were, the video component, component was pretty important. And there would be men in the audience when she preached. Yeah, I remember my parents had a whole big deal about that. Right. That they had to work through because so, a woman can't preach in front of men. It took a year of my Bible study leader, um, the wife who was trying to get it, this through, push this through and get it to happen. It took a full year of her like haranguing the pastors about like, well, our group is only going to be women, so mm-hmm. it's not an issue. Before they would allow her to hold the Bible study in like one of the conference rooms. Oh at my god! Church. So like. They were like, yeah, you can do this, but it can't be affiliated with our church and you can't use our, our property for it. Wow. We can't endorse it. And she was like, well, we it's like the group is going to be too big. We can't do it. We need the AV equipment. Like, please mm-hmm. just let us do it at, at church. And so they like it took a year, but they finally agreed as long as there weren't going to be any men who'd be participating in the study. Right. We should eventually uh, talk about gender roles in like this aspect where it's like a woman preacher at all is so controversial mm-hmm. like i remember i remember my mom having to justify beth moore also because it's like well she's not really talking to the men they're just there for some reason like, <laughs> we don't know why they're there they just are they put, I don't. They, they put wax in their ears beforehand right so, that so they, they don't could, hear they don't they don't hear the siren right <laughs> Because like women aren't aren't allowed to preach in a lot of these churches, they're not allowed mm-hmm. to step up to the podium. Women pastors are not a thing. In fact, my parents adamantly went to churches that did not allow women to be pastors or speak outside of like, like they were kind of okay with prophecy because mm-hmm. sometimes women are prophets, but like otherwise, right? But as long as a man is the one translating, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there has to be a man translating. Because otherwise it doesn't have the correct God authority. And they got really upset once when someone was prophesying at a church and it didn't happen in the way it was supposed to happen. My parents did that too. It was like, yeah, like somebody would prophesy and they didn't have like a follow-up where a man would like reinterpret what had just happened. And so it was like, wow, you guys are just like flaunting your... You know, flagrant disrespect for the Bible. Yep. Yep. Um, <laughs> so I have a really good story um, about my dad. And 
I guess since we're talking about it, I'll just go into it. Um, so one of the, the Southern Baptist Church tried to ordain women at one point mm-hmm. in the 80s. And it like was wildly unpopular and didn't succeed. But they did have the first woman who was ordained. Um, here, I have this like news article that I've got set aside for my, my memoir research. Let me pull it out. Hang on. So it's from, I think it's the Southern Baptist Register, the Baptist Press. This is what it's called. New, the New Service of the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, and this is from 1993. California Baptists refuse to seat messengers of church with women pastor. Um, Santa Rosa, California. In a series of close votes at the start of their annual meeting, Southern Baptists in California overruled their credentials committee and parliamentarians and refused to seat messengers from a San Francisco church because its pastor is a woman. This is amazing, Julie Pennington Russell, pastor of 19th Avenue Baptist Church, said after the decision. The tent has just gotten considerably smaller. (laughs) Now, that woman at 19th Avenue Baptist Church was ordained and installed as pastor when my parents were attending there before they got married. Oh, wow. And the day, so like the, they, my parents met at that church and were attending there together and had been dating for a couple of years. And then the male pastor either died or left, I don't remember. Um, but they were searching for a new replacement and Julie Pennington Russell was the, the pick. And um, she was... They like took some time with the discernment process, and then on the day when they ordained her and installed her as pastor, my father sat up at the front of the church, and when she got up to give her like inaugural sermon, mm-hmm. he got up and left. Oh in my protest, god! And he never went back, and he basically had to convince my mother to like stop attending that church because she really liked Julie, and they're actually they've reconnected and they're friends. Um, uh. That's Which beautiful. is cute. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they, like, really got along. Um, but my father was just, like, so incensed that he was, like, basically calling anyone who supported her ordination a heretic in public. Oh, my God. Like, she rem- I had a call with her, and she was, like, telling me these stories about, yeah, like, there was this panel and, about, like, women in ministry, and your father got up and started, like, challenging everybody and, like, being, like, how does it feel to be a heretic, basically. Oh, my God. Right? Oh my god! <laughs> so uh, yeah, women in ministry—really touchy, touchy subject. Yeah, yeah. And um, and the Southern Baptist Church eventually like wouldn't work with her, so she like had to um, switch denominations because to like right. maintain her work. She's teach. Uh, she's still pastor at um, a church, and she's in D.C. now. Oh wow! Super cool lady. But yeah, weird life. Okay, so journaling also has this, like, or devotional journaling has this, like, whole heritage in literature. Do you want to talk about, like, what you were exposed to that, like, influenced your, your, your journaling style, your writing style, and, like... Yeah, so not so much for devotional journaling, but for, like, the way that I learned history was by reading... Uh, a lot of history books and some historical fiction that I read that still influences the way I journal to this day uh, was the Dear America series, Mm -hmm. which was these, like, historical fiction books with... I think they're 
put out by Scholastic Press. They are put out by Scholastic, um, and it's it's written in the form of a diary. And all the all the ones I read were um, like written by women. I don't know if it's only. They had a few. Journals, or if they, they had have, a few boy ones that they yeah. started publishing later on, but they were originally. I think it was well, like all girls. For it was a while. all girls for a while, and they and the boy ones they always called them journals because apparently diaries. Right? Yeah, found. diaries are girly or something. <laughs> and um, and they they had the royal diaries, which I loved because mm-hmm. high court drama. Hello, yes, I am there for it. Let me have gossip and backstabbing and poisoning and like right. Arranged marriages and <laughs> angst, so good. Yeah, so I like I just devoured those, and that, like, and I I started reading them really early on, around the time when I started journaling, which started when I was like six or seven or so, mm-hmm. and the format of documenting history as a journal that was like how those books were formatted is how I journal now sometimes when mm-hmm. stuff goes down. So immediately post 2016 election. Uh, yeah, yeah, that yeah, was yeah. how I that was how I journaled and wrote was just like this is the stuff that went down and this is how that happened. I read those and was obsessed with them. Another book I read and I don't know if you read this one, um, but it's called Stepping Heavenward by Elizabeth Prentice. And Vision Forum sold it. It was an old book that they got the rights to and reprinted. It was out of print. Um, has a blurb on the back cover from Elizabeth Elliot. Of course. Uh, of course. Um, I the copy I got is a is a library is from a homeschool library. It's the homeschool gathering place. It's a used book. So it was. Let me try and figure out what year it was originally printed. So this woman died in 1878 so this book is ancient wow and it's like this like journal of this woman who's like marries an older man and like he moves his father in and they have to take care of them and she's like trying to be more and more godly and she's like you know resents like having to take care of her cranky father-in-law and Mm -hmm. like then has a couple miscarriages and like you know, wants to have a job and can't do it and, like, is, like, chronically ill and bedridden with her kids running around the house and, like, her husband's off. Like, I, he's either a doctor or a pastor, but it's morality fiction, basically. Yeah, yeah. And it's in the form of a journal. And it's very, very, like, involved, uh, like, kind of the same style of, like, religious self-loathing that I was reading from my own stuff where it's like I you know God help me be grateful for this and like you know I am such a wretch and da 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 Um, and then similarly the the journals of Jim Elliot were very popular and I don't know a lot of people who read them all the way through there's um, In the Shadow of the Almighty is Elizabeth Elliot's biography of Jim Elliot Mm -hmm. and a lot of that Material was taken from his diary, so there's a lot of selections from the journals. And um, again, it's the same kind of like, you know, this is what's happening in my life. So there's like some some historical facts, and then a lot of like summarizing it in and spiritualizing it, and like mm-hmm. asking God to like fix your emotions. Yep. 
so much, so much of asking God to fix your emotions is a thing. The other thing that I also remember now that I'm thinking about it is even though the Elsie Didsmore series wasn't so much written as a diary. Oh yeah, that was that was, that was still a huge influence on how I wrote my diary and how I like processed myself in the world. Elsie Dinsmore is like I want to uh, burn everything. How to be a pedophile 101. That like has she to do was with Elsie Dinsmore. She would, yeah, she had to marry she like was groomed by fell in love with and married her father's best friend. Yeah. Creepy. And it was so gross. I was so angry when I got to that part in the book, and then I didn't read anything after that except oh, I think I read like worse. the next book. She's, it's just it like, got so much worse. And then like the KKK came in, and I was like, "Yeah, no, none of that." Well, her husband was like apparently like against them. They like burned a cross in their yard. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because they were like pro black, but like it's still it was... they were still like running a plantation with like right. They were the they were like the nice sl- slave slaves owners. as your servants. Yeah, yeah. They, the other they were, thing that gets the me, nice ones. It's like no. The other thing that gets me, and this is um in Stepping Heavenward too, um both the husbands in both those stories in the Elsie Dinsmore books and then in Stepping Heavenward, the husbands refer to their wives as child yes. as like an endearing term. Yep. They're like, yeah. oh my child. Yeah, and don't they're also worry, like, don't trouble yourself with this. Yeah, and I mean like in Elsie Dinsmore's case, like. She was a fucking She child. was a child. She was like it 17 was, when they yeah, got married or something. Yeah, and and l- stuff had been happening since it was ridiculous. It, uh, she it's was so like 14 gross. or 15. It's so disgusting. I don't know why those books exist and are sold as like something to look up to. Because it's Arkelly like how to groom Elsie people. Dinsmore when he was growing up? Probably. <laughs> Sorry. That's like, a really bad joke. It's so it's so bad, and then people are, so people wonder why there's like this problem, and it's like we're giving this book for like to girls to read to emulate because it's been fucking normalized. Yeah, um, it's, it's ridiculous. Well, these are things that really shaped how I learned how to write, and then there was this thing. Um, you probably didn't do this, and I don't think I did either. I tried for a little bit, and I kind of like was squeaked out by it squeaked out by it it was just like wasn't my cup of tea I, I thought it was a little weird but the whole journaling not journaling writing letters to your future husband oh yeah I like people also wanted me to do that and that squeaked me out and it was weird and I was like I don't want to get married yeah I I just like I tried I wanted to but I I was like I was pretty bummed out about the whole idea of just like writing letters to someone who wouldn't respond yeah because I, I guess my standards for that emotional fantasy were higher than they were for God because I could just, like, interpret, right. like, my day-to-day feelings and interactions with the world yeah. as, like, paranormal interactions with God in various ways. But, like, I couldn't trick myself into believing that with yeah. the future husband thing. Yeah, it didn't work for me. Like, I tried. I tried to write. I think I think I did, like, two letters to my future mm-hmm. husband or something. I, I tried really hard because it was But it was it a was really a big bad... thing. People did that. And yeah, they it was would, a like, huge thing. They would get married and, like, give the letters to their husband on their wedding night. Yeah. And, like, I remember a lot of the, the bloggers who would write about this later, yep. um, they would be like, yeah, my husband thought it was weird. <laughs> right. It is And I was weird. so disappointed. And, like, I was offended because I'd put so much energy into it. And I was like, oh. Yeah, yeah. I think I like I thought it through for a minute. Also, eventually, and was like, 
I'm not really going to give this to my future spouse if I marry them anyway. Like, why would why would they want something that I wrote when I was like a 15 year old, vaguely having pants feelings? Like, <laughs> Erotica is <laughs> not I that don't. good. It's really not, especially for not knowing what sex was or how to do it. It's just yeah. Like it's like you no, don't want to read erotica fun. written by a virgin. No, you really so. don't. You really. It's like I was. This is a complete sidebar, Ugh. but I was looking at dance belts because I'm taking ballet this semester, mm-hmm. and like I have enough of a dick that it's useful. So huh. I was I was looking at the reviews, and one was written by someone who like had no idea what thongs were, how they work, and had never worn it before. <gasps> and I'm reading it, and I'm trying so hard not to laugh because this dude is like, "So there's this thing, this string, and it goes inside your buttocks, and it's weird." And I'm like, "Have you you don't? Yes, that's how thongs work. Do you not?" And then I was like, "Oh, cis dudes." <laughs> but I'm like, "Yeah, and your point is what exactly? Like this this is how that works." <laughs> Wow, that's so fun. It's <laughs> just like I was shocked and it was so funny. I was just like, is that I didn't realize that like that was a thing that people had no experience with. Uh-huh. And then I remembered cis dudes. Do you, did you have <laughs> this is we're going off on on <laughs> tangents today. Did you have uh the uh, the sense that thongs were like bad? Yes. That they was were, like they were like evil somehow because your butt. I think that's just where it ended. I think it was just your butt. <laughs> your butt. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was like something about like it, it like it was like along the lines of you're asking for it like you yeah. want like like thongs are only allowed in the context of marriage. Like only you can only wear a thong for your husband. Really. Did you get given? <laughs> wow, we are really going off. I know. Did you give given um, lingerie for your wedding? Yes, but not by my parents. Oh, it was. It my was parents by, didn't do that either. They were like mortified that I was having like it, my the, maid like of having honor a gave me my one pair was a thing. or my one set. It was great. And I remember just being like, "Well, all of this is very scratchy, and also, um, just gonna take it off." So yeah, like, I don't right? want to like stick things between my butt cheeks and. These things look weird, and I look better without it, so why bother? Yep. Yeah. So journaling! Journaling. <laughs> Anything you want to add? It was it was a thing. It was I, a deeply intense thing. It was. Oh, it and was, it got me into blogging. I like. I think it. Yes. Like, a lot of my like day to day processing turned into blogging stuff. Yeah, yeah, it did for me too. Like I, I tell people I've been writing for over 20 years because it's true. I started journaling mm-hmm. when I was seven and then that turned into blogging and I've been doing that since. Yeah. Uh, but I've still, like, I still journal. Um, it's not as oppressive for, yeah, until I left, all of my journaling was really just a way to continue repressing myself. Right. So a lot of my journaling now is, like, trying to process things, but it's it's very light. Mm-hmm. Um I don't really get into a lot of details. Still, I, I can't kick that habit of like I don't really want to have this on the page. I still do that too. If it's private, because I it just I don't have anything to hide anymore. Mm-hmm. And so like why bother when I can just like send someone an email and talk yeah. through something with yeah. a real person? 
Yeah. And I think this is part of why blogging was came to me so naturally is the the assumption that everyone was going to be reading my journals. Mm-hmm. So who cares if I put it on the internet? I can say yeah. more and say it more coherently, and also typing's easier. Right. And um, so I just it was a very natural transition because like I never assumed that I had that privacy in the first place. Yeah, I think that that's true for me too cuz I always I always knew that like whatever I wrote in my journal would probably be read by mm-hmm. a sibling or a parent. So I was always very cognizant of that and when I was when I was blogging, I I knew obviously that my parents would be reading it too. So there was no there was no concept of privacy. Like I've I've never approached my blog as something that is a private journal that people shouldn't read because I'm like my dudes, if I wanted it to be private, I would write it down and put it under my mattress. Right. Like, or I, would <laughs> I wouldn't like, put it on the internet. Write it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I just think it, it would live in my brain forever. It wouldn't it wouldn't see the light of day. No. So it's fine if you want to read my blog, go for it. Right. Thank you for joining us today. The music you hear in this episode is Janet by the Heavens from the, their album Love Songs. If you want to support the podcast through a Patreon, ask us a question, or follow us on Twitter. You can check out our website at kitchentablecult.com. And big thanks to Aaron Bechtel, as always, for producing these episodes. We love you, Aaron. We love you, Aaron. Bye. Bye.